All right, welcome back for another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I love this. I have David Garfinkel on the line. Now, David, we'll get to your bio in a minute, but you've worked with many of the world's best copywriters. And I was wondering if we could just start off with, uh, like, share something that you've found that most people would find totally weird or maybe just unexpected that you've seen that's common amongst top copywriters. Yeah. Um well, Roy, it's great to be here. And I was certainly surprised as I discovered over the years that most of the best copywriters are obsessive and most of the time not about copywriting. I mean, one of these people, and to protect his privacy, I won't mention his name, he he discovered obscure, I mean, really obscure threads on Reddit, and he would spend days just going down these rabbit holes. Um for no apparent reason, just out of curiosity. Uh, another great copywriter I know is obsessed about cooking and barbecuing, and he's pretty open about this on Facebook. I'll leave his name out because it's not the most important thing about him. So I would say the most surprising thing to me about the top people is obsessiveness and relentless curiosity. Maybe you would expect that, but I certainly didn't. These are the proven direct response marketing, copywriting, and entrepreneurship success strategies you can use today to write your own ticket and create the life you want. I am Roy Furr, and this is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Now, here's today's breakthrough. I can, it's one of those things that's obvious in, in hindsight, uh, but, but um, I, you wouldn't necessarily assume it. Uh, off the top of your head. So David, let's let's dive into your bio and I might push a little bit further on that question. Uh, David Garfinkel is, I'm sorry, my, my tongue kind of froze up as that was coming out. David Garfinkel is a copywriter, a copy coach and a copy critiquer. He's the host of the Copywriters Podcast. He was previously a copy consultant for Agora Financial and GKIC. He's been a collaborator with Jay Conrad Levinson, the Gorilla Marketing Guy, which huge marketing brand there, a co-conspirator. I like that term with John Carlton. I most closely associate you with Carlton in my mind, maybe because I found you through Carlton's work. Uh, David is also the author of Breakthrough Copywriting, as well as Advertising Headlines That Will Make You Rich. I'm pretty sure I have that over there, but I didn't grab it before the interview. Um, he's also been featured in Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and The National Enquirer. And he is, he's considered one of the world's greatest, if not the world's greatest copywriting coach. And so David, thank you. Thank you so much for being on uh, Breakthrough Marketing Secrets and sharing, I guess the, the title for our, our topic or for our conversation today is how to become one of the world's best copywriters, many of the folks you've worked with. So David, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm going to poke a little bit on that relentless curiosity. Like um, I, I've certainly found, or or like that that obsessiveness. I've mm -hmm. certainly found, um, for example, most copywriters I know, as soon as they discover copywriting, they have a bookshelf like mine. Like I have two giant bookshelves over there that are full of marketing, selling, advertising, business, financial, because I went there books, but also like how to brew beer, music theory, like, you know, and, and those other pursuits that I have too. And I, I would say that most copywriters are 
obsessive like that. And, and certainly that makes sense. Um, do you have any favorite obsessions that are not necessarily just copywriting? Well, um, music, and maybe we can talk about that a little later. Um, okay. You, you know, I, I do. And it, it started out as a possible career that um, fizzled out. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm really obsessed with stories and storytelling and, um, writing for the screen. I I've been to a lot of seminars in Hollywood. I've read a lot of the books. Uh, I, I watch pretty stupid TV shows like every week, um, just cause I like the stories and I like to see how they do it and, and where they're going. And, um, so uh, I mean, you could say storytelling is copywriting related, and and I would agree with you, but they are very two different things. Uh, so I'm obsessed with that. Um, Pinky and the Brain, I'm very obsessed with that. I have a <laughs> bunch of hats. Um, here you can see I have a Pinky and the Brain coffee mug, and I have a Pinky and the Brain, uh, uh, you know, penny coin bank, too. Excellent, excellent. Um, you know one of us is the genius and the other is insane. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get some context here back to the, the copywriting thing. Um, yeah. Can you, ex can you explain, um, because you, you've had this unique role, like for, for example, uh, for a while you were reviewing at least one promo per week for Agora Financial. Uh, yep. You're working with like many of the best copywriters in the world, not just there before Agora, after Agora. Um, I know that you've been named as a mentor to uh, entrepreneurs who kind of fill that dual role of copywriter entrepreneur. So how how did you come to work with so many top copywriters and what have some of those relationships looked like? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good question. I've thought about it a lot. Um, I, I think I initially, I gravitated towards it uh, being, being a coach and a mentor. And then people started to gravitate towards me. It, it wasn't like, you know, when I was five years old, so, well, I could be a fireman or a copywriting coach. It, it, it just didn't work that way. You know, um, I, I got into copywriting uh, after a short, successful career as a business journalist. And I really liked copywriting for a lot of the reasons I didn't like journalism. I, I wanted something where I was explicitly supposed to and allowed to be, um, you know, uh, a proponent of something um, in, in favor of something as opposed to a journalist was, and back in the day, there was this whole idea of both sides as a serious thing and so forth and yes. objectivity. Um, and, um, uh, you know, th I, I, I was writing like crazy. I, I was writing a lot, everything I could as fast as I could. And I was putting in 60, 70, I don't know if I ever put in an 80 hour week, but I might've, you know, but um, I would, I would talk about what I was doing. You know, I, I remember I was taking a class on screenwriting in Marin okay. County and um, uh, you know, the teacher was very serious about screenwriting and you can imagine what a smart ass I was. I would say, well, you know, in the tawdry world of copywriting, we do something similar. And I would say things like that pretty often. He got very annoyed, but, you know, he found it amusing. Other students liked it. Two of the other students came up to me. They were both published writers. One was a, a novelist with a, a book um, 
in, you know, uh, published by a New York publisher, wasn't a bestseller. Uh, another was a reporter for a local newspaper. And they noticed I was happy about writing. I was always talking about it. I had a new car, you know, and they weren't doing quite as well emotionally or financially. And they said, would you teach us copywriting? And that's kind of how it got started. And I said, well, if you wouldn't mind my recording it and turning it into a product, yeah, I, I could do that. And they said, no, that's okay. That's the so, consummate copywriter entrepreneur. <laughs> right. That proves yeah. I was really a copywriter. So, um, um, and I, I met I met Jay Levinson right around that time. And the first thing he did is asked me to write a book with him, you know, the Gorilla Direct Mail. Um, well, writing a book is sort of like being a teacher or a coach, not the same thing, but um, so people people would ask me that, and and I'm kind of a compulsive explainer. I like to understand how things work and then tell everybody about it. So it, yes. I guess it was obvious um, that uh, I, I had the, um, not the chops for it, but, but the, the seedlings. Like the predilection. Yeah. The... Predilection. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a better word. Yeah. That's the right word. Um, yeah. Um, there's another thing about coaching too. So like between the time I started writing copy and the time I finished my journalism career, I met a guy named Jim Camp. Um, he's no longer with us. May he rest in peace. He was my my first coach, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced coaching. Is and this from a very? Is this start with no Jim Camp the negotiation? Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. This was before he was really famous, but he was already really good. And um, you know, I, I signed up for his coaching program, and our relationship. It was interesting. It went way beyond that. After I finished his coaching, he hired me. Then he fired me. Then we didn't talk for ten or fifteen years. Then we talked for the on the phone about everything. I mean, he wanted to use his start with no system to help families get back together and to help victims of abuse. I mean, he he really cared. He 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 was very successful. Made a lot of money with big corporate deals. Um, in fact, I I met somebody who knew, um, who's the guy who, what was that, that big cloud, managed cloud company in Texas? Do, do you remember? Um, oh, I can't, can't remember their uh, name. It's not coming right. off the top of my head. And anyway, uh, uh, Jim was the, the CEO and founders coach. And I met someone who knew him and I was like, yeah, I would always say, oh, I got to go coach camp on the line. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> Jim, Jim completely turned my, cause you know, I wasn't an athlete and I hadn't been an actor. I didn't have any experience. And back in the old days, that's about the only kind of coaching that there was um, these days, you know, everybody's a coach. I mean, your ice cream vendor is a dessert coach, right? But, yeah. um, but, but those days there weren't many. And so when Jim coached me in business and in selling, I experienced something totally different from, you know, whatever I'd experienced before. And and so I got interested in that. And I got so interested that um, about 20 years after I met Jim, I went back to school. I got a graduate degree in education and I got a graduate certificate in something called evidence-based coaching. And wow. um, I, le I learned a, a lot in that. Um, a lot of it, I, I was, again, I, I don't think I was a very good classroom student. I was constantly challenging what they were saying, because 
their approach to coaching is the coach only asks questions, you know, kind of like a psychotherapist never really says anything. And with copyright, as you know, because you coach people, you got to yes. say something. You got to say, that's not going to work. And here's why. And here's, right? I mean, yeah. or that's great. You're not supposed to do either of those things when you're an evidence-based coach. But um, I still got a lot out of it, um, a lot of practice and listening. You know, listening yes. can, can, can take... I heard a great joke the other day, by the way. Um, it, it goes like this. Job... job um, uh, interviewer what would you where do you want to be in five years me i think my greatest weakness is listening <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but anyway yeah so um and and as i started to coach people um i i you know i the so initially i would go to seminars i would present something I would mention I was a coach and people would come up to me and, and they'd, they'd want to work with me. And then I'd start to get referrals. And I, I even remember um, a couple of my students were riffing headlines and leads like this in front of another guy I said, where'd you learn this? Oh, Garfinkel taught us that. <laughs> and, and believe me, that's not one of the things I teach people, but these guys were just natural show offs. And um, I mean, I'm really glad they did, but I'm not, putting it down it's just not one of my techniques but but anyway um yeah so um it the the business grew from there and and the relationships of i'd say they kind of fall into three buckets um okay uh some of the people i've worked with um are among my best friends um my oldest friend who wasn't a mentoring client but he was in the business he used to be a mailing list broker i'm very good friends with mike morgan who's super successful. He's copy chief at Money Map Press. He's yes. still writing multi-million dollar promotions. Um, and I'm good friends with Carlton. I certainly didn't mentor him. Uh, if anything, he mentored me in a few things. We've done a lot of work together as equals, but I I would be the first to say he's the greater among equals. No <laughs> doubt about that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the first. The second is some of my clients finish with me and move on, never to be heard from again. Some of them are very successful. Um, I mean, some of them, like like Chris Haddad, um, we're friends, but we're not as close. And and you know, we touch base every now and then. He comes on my podcast. I've been on his podcast. Um, I I help him. I take a look at some of his copy every now and then. But um, you know, it he's you know not not the same level of closeness as some people. Um, yeah. Some of my clients stay with me for years and. One of them, a guy named Brad Nickel, um, and I don't know if I could say, you know, flatly, the work has paid off, but I'd like to think I played a large part in it. He launched a project earlier this year with a partner. It brought in $1 million in the first month and ought to finish nice. the year at about $6 million just for this one project, and they're going to be doing other ones. So that kind of client success makes me feel really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously there's this, there's this extended relationship that you end up developing with a lot of people you work together with. And I think that it, it's probably reflective of the fact that 
you know, you're, you're not just, you're not just the bossy coach telling people what to do, but, but you actually listen to them. You actually connect with them and you actually help them out quite a bit. Um, so I want to, I want to pivot back into like the copywriting skills. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about what makes us weirdos, our obsessiveness and, <laughs> and so on. What are, what are some other common traits of top copywriters, things that like, you know, maybe expected or unexpected, but if I wanted to, you know, if, if, if I'm getting started and I want to become a great copywriter, what can I work on? What can I focus on? What can I develop? Okay. It's a great question. Um, I, I think it, it starts with mindset. There's a lot of action you've got to take. There's, there's, um, a lot of issues about drive, which we can talk about, but I think to, to really become a great copywriter, Early on, you've got to have a fascination with human nature. And by human nature, I don't mean studying Freud and Jung and deciding, you know, well, Freud, I don't, I, I think those things are helpful, but not really directly useful. I mean, like there's an old story about Gary Halbert um, being at a bar with somebody and he was watching people and he said, okay, in about a second, the waiter's going to come up to this and say this. And the waiter came out to them and said that. He said, okay, you see that woman at the bar? She's an escort. She's going to hit on that guy in about 90 seconds. And she comes up to this guy and very professionally, you know, makes him a proposition. Um, I'm not saying you need to learn to do that, but Gary was like a, another level of understanding human nature. Um, now, you don't have to love people. It, it helps if you do but you need to at least like them. And I'll give you a counter example. I know one guy, again, I will avoid names to you know, keep from uh, identifying the guilty. He's a top marketer outside of direct response copywriting. Okay. He, he's very, very good at something else. And he told me flat out that he really doesn't like people. The words he said is, I hate people, except, except yeah. you, David. Probably hated me too, but he knew it wouldn't be to his advantage to tell me that at the moment. Um, you use that so, line on all the. <laughs> yeah, you tell yeah. everyone. Right? You tell all the guys that, right? Um, yeah. But when he tried his hand at copywriting himself, the writing was good. The copy was terrible because he hated other people so much he couldn't get himself to think about what other people needed to hear to buy. So you need to have at least some manufactured empathy. Real empathy would be even better. And yes. where does that come from? You know, I, I think it comes from a few things. Um, one of it comes from selling stuff to people over the phone and in person, you know, yes. either succeeding or failing, but trying and interacting and reflecting on your experience, thinking, okay, what happened? What, what worked? What didn't work? Why do I think it worked? Why do I think it didn't work? Um, so that's one and, way and to develop. Just oh, interjecting here just a little bit. Like, I, yeah, I, I feel like I should probably talk about this more, but I somehow ended up in call centers um, when I was younger, probably because I grew up in Nebraska. And I mean, Nebraska call, call centers center. in Nebraska, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I worked in like, um, I, I worked in, in selling credit cards. I worked in fundraising for, I hated selling credit cards. I did fundraising for nonprofits. I worked, uh, I sold the newspaper subscriptions and then I sold those toe to toe, like in grocery stores, standing on the sidewalk in front of grocery stores. 
Um, and I also worked customer service for the, the gas company and the call center. And there was some selling component, but just some like listening and conversational components. And I'm sure that you have your list of um, different one-on-one -on -one experiences that you've had. And I know that I don't hear it as much from other copywriting trainers, but a lot of the classic copywriting trainers all share that same um, lesson that, that that you will benefit from that kind of direct interaction with people. Interesting. Um, yes, uh, you know, for, first of all, that that's awesome. Um, that's that's such good experience. My belief is the most valuable skill in business is being able to write good telemarketing scripts. And then, then you can uh, leverage that across some good customer service reps and you can make a fortune. I, I don't have any statistical proof of that, but I, I know it scales. All right. Um, I just thought of something that I haven't thought of in years. When I okay. was in college, when I was in college, um, I, I, I realized what a scam it was. Um, I, I realized that my degree in French was only going to get me a couple of things. I could get a job as a French teacher, which I did not want to do. And I hadn't seen myself as a teacher at that point. Or I would know how to pronounce the names of the more expensive bottles of wine at restaurants. So it's going to actually cost me money. Um, so in the last two years of, of school, uh, particularly the last one, I, I, I turned it into a, a trade school experience. I mean, I was still in an academic liberal arts program, but I, I worked at the student radio station. I worked on the student newspaper and I worked at a consumer complaint resolution center. And I, I didn't really, I, I don't know how I found it. I don't think I had any idea what it was, but uh, I did it. Um, I was adventurous. I thought I'd try. And I remember there was this one woman who had a complaint with, I'm pretty sure the guy was named Big George. He was an appliance dealer in Ann Arbor. <laughs> and she was like loaded for bear. You know, she 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 wasn't having any of it. And somehow I talked her into, I don't know. Well, what if you put the laundry detergent in the little cup rather than just throw it in the wash? I, I really don't remember what I did. But um, anyway, I resolved it. And Big George came into the center and he got religious. He, he, I mean, it was like <laughs> I was the second coming or something. And he was so grateful and so happy. And today, having gotten refunds and angry customers with my own business, I do understand it. At the time, I didn't. But <clears throat> I'm sure that made an impression on me that that kind of paid off, you know, just because, yeah, most copywriters don't understand the human dynamic between seller, product and service, and buyer. And there's a lot of emotion going on there. And yes. it's not what you would expect. And, you know, all these crappy TV shows I watch, it's not what you see on the TV shows. <laughs> you know, they, they it's because what they need to put their needs to work dramatically. It doesn't need, needs to be barely believable, but it needs to work in terms of the story. So, yeah. Um, Here's the key thing. If you grew up in a family, an entrepreneurial family, a business owner family, maybe your parents were salespeople, what I'm about to say doesn't apply so much. Okay. But for, you know, the majority of people who didn't, 
who who grew up, you know, in a family of employees or professionals or or something else, you're going to have some very stereotyped and probably inaccurate and definitely not useful ideas about how people behave and and what they think. You know, I I did four podcasts on about two paragraphs from chapter two of Vic Schwab's book, uh, How to Write a Good Advertisement. And it was just about what people want to become, to gain, to um, save, and um, I guess to avoid. Um, and And it's, and it's, it's nothing I learned in in all of my years of quote unquote higher education, um, but it, it's it's real world. And so understanding, you know, the 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 more you can understand, not at a pedagogical level, not at a like like you can quote it, but at a sort of at a gut level, how people what they really respond to, what they really move away from, move towards, man, that, that's going to help you go far and it it takes a while and it's different than you might think. Yeah. It continues to be a study for me. And I know most of us who are serious about copywriting, I mean, we're continually curious about humans and human decision-making and human behavior. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, simplification that goes on out there for like a mass audience or an academic audience, but um, it, I mean, it reminds me of the old Halbert quote that it, to be a great copywriter, you need to understand two things and that's behavioral psychology and math. And, um, the behavioral psychology is what people respond to. Right. Um, yeah. so all of that feels very like high level and it's not like sitting down to write headlines. So, um, I, I want to like, I want to flip this around. I, I, I always teach from that like principles and strategies level that 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 defines your techniques and tactics, but then also what are the techniques and tactics. So um, if someone comes to you and they want to improve their copywriting, uh, what kind of regular practices or daily, weekly, monthly habits uh, might you recommend for someone just interested in growing their skills? And I suppose it might vary based on, you know, their current level of experience, but, but generally. Okay. So the, the most important thing, if you really want to become a good copywriter is to get down to where the rubber meets the road, as opposed to going for a PhD in the physics of tires, you know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it's really important important to understand the principles, in other words, the context, where this all comes from. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of people on on social media trying to look smart by quoting from old copywriting books and maybe even plagiarizing from old copywriting books and thinking that that makes them an expert. And, and you know, those, those books are important. We can talk about them a little later, but um, what you, when you need to make a sale, there's nothing that compares with actually being able to call to mind actual headlines, leads, or entire ads, or even funnels that have worked and being able to replicate or adapt it yourself. So that's that's where you need to start. You need to start by looking at what's worked and what's working 
and breaking it down, um, analyzing headlines, copying headlines. I'm a big fan of when you start hand copying um, old sales letters that have worked. Um, not to the point where you get carpal tunnel, but you know, to, to the point where you where you're really physicalizing it. I have a brilliant client. I mean, like Einstein level client, but he, you know, of course he's very left brain because he's so smart. And after working with him for about five years, um he told me he's discovered if he does things by hand more slowly then he actually gets more emotionally effective copy. I mean, when I heard it, I kind of wanted to reach across <laughs> the phone and, and throttle him like, I told you that. And, 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 and I have a, an, another client who's in Europe who um, was doing a certain exercise I gave him um, where I specifically said to write it out by hand. And he was doing it on... He was he was creating the same kind of paper. It's actually index cards. He created index cards on his computer, and and then he would take them to the cafe. And I said, no, no, there, there, because there's something in that particular case about not just writing on the cards, but feeling the paper in your hands. You know, this this may be a little far afield from your question, but. Um, Copywriter's brain isn't just the neck up. It, it's it's very sensory. It's very physical. It's not just emotional. It's um, it's about the world we live in. It's action. It's it's about you know what things feel like, not just emotionally but physically. Um, the you know some of the best copy will will have that multi sensory quality to it. And yeah. there's a very practical sales reason for that. If you can actually get the person hearing and smelling and feeling that they're using your product or that they're in the vacation spot that you're selling as the destination or um, yeah. that they're, you know, the the bubbles of the champagne are tickling their nose because they're celebrating their first million dollar month. Um, it's going to be more real to them. Yeah. So, so, you know, Gary Bensavenga was considered the top copywriter of the time among large direct mail publishers when he retired. And one thing I know he said he would do when he was actively writing copy every day before he'd start writing copy, he'd spend some time reading some other good copy, you know, be, before he started writing. And I, I think, you know, I mean, a lot of what I talk about is kind of fuzzy and right brain, and I, I, I recognize that. But it, there, there's a different rhythm and feel to copywriting that works than just about anything else. And so getting yourself in sync with that groove, especially early on, is really helpful in making things work. Absolutely. So, so like fundamentally what I'm hearing is is there needs to be lots of different levels of studying copy that works. And, you know, you, you mentioned even Gary at peak was consistently studying copy that worked. And I think I remember right that he would uh, also challenge himself to, if I had to, you know, 
if if I was in charge of the next uh, test and we knew that this was the control and it worked well, if I had to um, create the next test that would work even better than this, what would I do? You know, to the cover of this magalog or whatever. So constantly challenging himself, not just to understand it, but to try to make it enough better. That, that, you know that that's that's a really good point. I keep my consultations confidential for, I think, obvious reasons. Um, you know, competitive advantage. But just yesterday, somebody was um, one of my clients had an assignment to beat a control. Exactly the same situation you're talking about with Gary. And I realized there's an added level of pressure there from uh, just writing some copy that's going to work or even you know, doing a tremendous launch. Because when you beat a control, you have to reach deep down and you have to pull in or confect you know, compound an idea um, that is new, but not so off the beaten track that it's not likely to work. And so, I mean, you know, talk about, you know, sharpening, you know, knives by by rubbing them together. I mean, you know, Gary, that that's a tough exercise he would give himself, but that, yeah. that would really keep him sharp too. It's a really smart yeah. thing to do. Well, eventually, uh, my understanding was he he won like ninety percent plus of his beat the control, which is just off the charts. So uh, maybe it's a good exercise to model. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of uh, Gary, and one of his friends is Brian Kurtz, who you recently interviewed. Uh, he is. I imagine he calls you this. I don't know. Uh, I, would, I would call him a mutual friend for life using his term. Um, I, I would say that. Yeah. 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 Um, and and uh, Brian told you something he's noticed about all the best copywriters that he's worked with. And he's worked with the best of the best. I mean, he counts Gary Bensavinga among personal friends. And when he did Titans in 2014, everybody lined up um, as his friends to speak for uh, his mentor, Marty Edelston. Um, yep. So what is this this thing that Brian told you that sets these best of the best copywriters apart? Well, when I asked him, he started to give me a list and I, I stopped him after the first one, which was hungry. And the, the list, if I, if I hadn't seen the same list in an interview he had done with Barefoot Writer, I'm not sure I would have stopped him, but I, I already knew what he was going to say. And I didn't think it was especially useful because he was talking about qualities, which are kind of abstractions. You know, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, hungry. I mean, the guys coming to his office say, "Hey, Brian, you got something to eat before we get started?" You know, I mean, but, yeah. But, but he he was very gracious, and 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 when I objected, and he, and he thought a little bit because what I wanted was an action, something they did, and okay. he said, "Yeah, there was something they did," and I found this fascinating. Um, he said that when the, you know the. And he didn't say them which ones they were, but when the David Deutsches and and the uh, Paris Lumpropolises and the Gary Bensavengas, probably those guys and others would come in, the first thing, and they were being asked to promote an existing product, they didn't want to look at the copy. 
they asked about the lists. They asked which lists are working and which ones are not. And with the list, which selects or which subcategories of the list would work, which to me is quite revealing because, you know, they, they say that copy is maybe 30% of the success of a promotion and maybe, yeah. maybe 20, maybe the offer is another 20, 30%, but the rest of it is the list. And it, yes. it, it makes sense if you step back from, because, you know, without good copy, it's not going to work. So we are important as copywriters, but without good customers, it's not going to work either. <laughs> and if, if you don't know who the customers are, uh, then it's a crapshoot. And if you already have data on which customers are more successful and which are not, you know, there, there's a story too about uh, Joe Sugarman. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've, have you read his book, Success Forces? It's it's a really interesting book. Um, not not, not well that known. one, but okay. You know, it's other books. Uh, maybe I should, things. yes. Yes. Oh, I, I would. Um, so when, when he was first getting started out, he'd been doing political advertising and some, you know, just general kind of advertising. I think he knew about direct response, but he wasn't really doing it. And he was really interested in tech. And this was 30, 40 years ago when, 30 years ago, I guess, when um, electronic calculators were first coming out. And so he knew, he just knew he was going to make a fortune. He yeah. just knew that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And, you know, Sears and, and um, you know, a, a lot of the big, chain stores of the time were selling it, but they weren't really selling it directly. They just stocked it. Um, so he contacted the manufacturer in California. He was living in Chicago and he um, put together a promotion and he raised some money and um, he told his investors, here's the deal. You get your money back first and then we'll split the profits. And I think this is a pretty fair deal. And he worked with a mailing list broker and he tried 10 different lists. And he was sure that engineers and accountants would just buy this like crazy. Okay. But the, the mailing list broker had a little more experience than Joe. So he said, well, let's try a CEO list too. Said, okay. So he mailed it out. No orders from engineers, no orders from accountants. But the CEOs really liked it. Joe was out of money. The mailing list broker said, tell you what, you, you order another list. Um, you pay me when you can of CEOs. And he did. And his whole house turned into a warehouse fulfillment center. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, when, when, when the land rush hits, it upsets your life. Yes. Um, and so the, the lesson there which I'm sure you learned very well is, you know, the list, but, and here's the thing, it, hindsight is 2020, you know, engineers and accountants are conservative. They learn certain things that work and they, you know, they still like to hold on to their slide rules and their spreadsheets, but CEOs, yeah. they're a little more adventurous and they like to have this cool new gadget that they can show to other CEOs and say, Hey, I got one of these, you know, do you? <laughs> Mark, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, 
hindsight is twenty twenty. Of course, maybe maybe the mailing list broker knew and he was smart enough to keep his mouth shut. I don't know. But um, anyway, so, you know, at, at the end of the day, the list is the most important thing to get right. And then great list, great copy, and you got a winner. Absolutely. Yeah. So many, so so many various uh, stories come out about um, the the audiences driving it. Um, at this point, what I'm seeing more and more is media buyers saying, "Don't even, don't even try and write great copy. Just make sure that you know where your media buying is targeted and speak to that." So if you know somebody is typing in like how to become an A-list copywriter into Google. If you can give them how to become an A-list copywriter, that is the best copy you can write, right? <laughs> like if you can fulfill on that promise. And of course, it's very different if you're talking a direct mail list. I remember Brian talking about um, knowing certain offers would work to a gambling list versus to, uh, you know, and and it's it, it really varies. Uh, the my, my grandpa actually bought one of the very, 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 very first electronic calculators. Um, wow. And he was he was an engineer. He worked on skyscrapers in Indianapolis. And um, I would say if if he didn't respond to the JSNA advertisement, it's actually because he already owned one as an engineer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think uh, he, he may uh, have been an unusually forward thinking engineer, though, right? Yeah. I think he might have been an engineer and a CEO too. So, um, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got into copywriting from the writing side. Um, you know, I I found a book called The Well Fed Writer, and I was like one of those screenwriters or journalists or whatever. Like I was somebody that was interested in writing, but assumed that you could not make a great living as a writer. Um, but then I found this book, The Well-Fed Writer, and it promised make a good living as a copywriter. And, you know, a lot of other copywriters come to this craft from the writing side. Um, it sounds like, it sounds like, and maybe we've we've gone down this avenue a little bit, bit already, but it's not necessarily a good thing for us to just focus on the writing. I mean, I haven't heard you saying you know, practice your your sentence structure or your <laughs> anything like that yet. Um, so can you can you speak to that? And um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I came I came from the same thing. I came from business journalism, but there was uh, it was just journalism about how business. It wasn't sales copy in any way, shape, or form. Um, so. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, it helps to be able to string a sentence together. It helps to be able to structure a piece. But here's the problem. The problem occurs when you are consciously or unconsciously following the tone and the intention of informative writing, like journalism or blog posts, or entertainment writing, like novels, movies, or TV shows. Um, because persuasive writing has a syntax and a sequence all of its own. I mean, there are a million formulas out there, right? Like A, I, D, A, attention, interest, desire, and action. And many of them are accurate, but just because they're accurate, it's not that useful if you've still got this other thing built in as a reflex. This, um, yes. you know, the, the, uh, what, the inverted pyramid for journalism or the three scene structure for movies or or whatever. Um, you've got to feel in your bones what a persuasive 
message is like. Yeah. And, you know, I like I said, I started out as a journalist, so I had to unlearn a lot of habits and, and writing reflexes and learn the way things work in copywriting. I've also heard top copywriters and, you know, Dan Kennedy admits that he's not a really good writer as a copywriter, but he's an incredible, you know, blockbuster sales letter writer. And and Ben Savenga, I think, talks about his own, quote, graceless prose. He he probably could have been a great novelist, but he didn't put his intention or his focus on that. He focused on what are the elements that you need to make the copy work. And I've I've heard from a few people that it's about 5% writing and 95% salesmanship. Now, there there is writing and writing skills that go into the salesmanship, but it's different from the academic or the artistic uh, focus on writing. Yeah, for me, like I had to, I had to completely unlearn and break all my academic writing habits because I, I turned out to be a very good academic writer through college. But you know, what one example of the type of writing skill that a copywriter develops versus academic is, I would, I was in college and I was excited when my flesh Kincaid scores were like in the twenties which was basically unreadable. And now I'm excited when they're like five or, you know, certainly mm-hmm. seven or below. Um, yeah. And so everything becomes much more conversational, much more common language, you know, shorter languages or shorter, shorter words, shorter sentences, just chunks of ideas, et cetera. Um, okay. So we, uh, you didn't think we would approach the end of the hour, but we're approaching the end of the hour. Nice and there's one that. question I want to make sure that we get in. So in the background there, I see, I think, a keyboard, two guitars. Uh, I have a little bit of background in music, although for me, it's more in the computer or behind a set of turntables. I know, let's see, I talked to David Deutsch recently. He does a a mean La Bamba, and I've even seen a behind-the-scenes video of him in Paris and Propolis. I know Carlton is a guitarist. Music is one of the many skills that I seem to hear coming up from so many copywriters. And, um, you know, you made a note to me that you've actually been composing music for your video promos for the Copywriters Podcast, which, by the way, um, at copywriterspodcast.com, we'll include a link in the description. People can find that interview with Brian, too. Um, but you've been you've been composing music for your uh, your promos, like, talk to me about that. Like, you know, what's the connection there between music and copywriting and, and just your general interest in doing that? Okay. So I've asked myself the same question. I've asked other copywriters the same question. We have no idea. Those of us who are into music, you probably don't either. And, um, but, um, there, I mean, there is, you know, copywriting is more kinetic. It, it's, it's more, proactive and moving and so is music i mean music without a groove is not music it's just noise and um what what happened to me is i don't know about five or six years i i i played in a band i'd had an electric guitar it's outside of the screen but you can see it it's a 1966 gibson es 330 um td um, it's a 
little hollow body. It's like BB King's guitar, but sort of the junior version of that. Um, okay. And and so all of a sudden, um, I, I when I became a writer, I said, okay, that's it, no more music. That's not going to work um, because. And it wasn't like I thought the music would hurt my writing. It's like I'd been thinking about becoming a musician and I was afraid, you know, I'd constantly be doubting and, you know, wandering away from writing. I knew I was really going to have to focus to be successful as a journalist at the time. And so all of a sudden the music thing clicked in about six, seven years ago, I guess. Um, I picked up the guitar. Uh, I took some guitar lessons. Then you know Doberman Dan by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. So Doberman yeah. Dan and I were talking a lot in those days, and he told me about a guy he was working with who was a musician and a producer. And um, so we worked together once a week. I created an album. It's terrible. Um, uh, I'm not releasing it. Uh, I, I'm not really a good singer songwriter, but in the process, um, I, I learned a little bit about how to compose and I took some other courses, took some classes. Um, and so I, I realized um, about as far as I'm going to go is these like 30 second stingers, intros, jingles, you know, um, and, and I have fun with them and I can do 30 seconds in a few hours and then I'm done with it. And I don't have to worry about not getting paid two cents by Spotify or, um, <laughs> or, you know, showing up at a gig wearing a COVID mask or what, you know, it's, it's great. So I've, I found my piece and yeah, I, I don't even play guitar anymore. I do everything with a MIDI keyboard. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, I've given up my dreams of electronic music stardom and the latest thing that I did. And most of my stuff that I've ever made is still hidden behind, you know, it is hard to find or impossible to find. Right. Um, but my latest thing is um, weird, like strange time signature meditation music. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. With like uh, arpeggiation and a nice rhythm that makes it feel like it's an expected time signature, but it's not quite. Um, definitely inspired by Tool, which is some of the best uh, musicians, in my opinion. Um, but it's it's still like that same passion. And and like that's an example, you know, coming all the way back around to the beginning. Uh, a weird obsession of mine is I learned that Tool is incredible with polyrhythms and like strange time signatures. And that's part of what makes their music so interesting to me. And so I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to crack that nut, you know, um, and applying it in a different place. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, yeah, I tried making binaural beat music for a little while, which is not quite meditation music, but maybe in the same realm. And yeah, I enjoyed it. But then, you know, I moved on. It's, you know, it it's kind of an ADD curiosity thing for me, too. I mean, I'm yeah, just interested in all these different things. All right, we're going to tell people where to go in just a second, but one final takeaway, if I'm just discovering copywriting or if I've been at it for a while and I still want to grow, what's one big thing that I can do to help me become one of the world's best copywriters? Well, being a copywriter, I'd like to multiply one into two. So I'd say two things. Um, okay. The first thing is read the great copywriting books. Um, so three that I'll mention, um, you can't go wrong with our scientific advertising by Claude Hopkins, which is 
not fun to read, but incredibly valuable. It's worth reading that a few times. Uh, David Ogilvy said at least seven times. Um, Joe Sugarman's Adweek Copywriting Handbook, that used to be a um, $8,000 seminar, which would probably be about like 25 now, 30, um, 40, 50, um, <laughs> when he gave it way back in the day. Um, it, it was an in-house seminar where he would teach a group of people how to write copy. And it, it's a great book. Um, Gary Halbert's Boron Letters, Bond Halbert has updated it and it were letters to Bond. Uh, you read a few things like that. That'll really get you started. The, the, other, and the, the other thing is find some great ads um, and swiped.co, S-W-I-P-E-D.co is a good place to start. Um, as you um, make more friends in copywriting, you'll find people who have swipe files who can share them with you or you can buy them. Um, hand copy them just the way as a painter, you would copy the old masters hand copy the whole thing word for word it's okay if your lips move while you're doing it in fact it's even better because you want to hear the copy because copy is ultimately the spoken language in written form so those are those are the one thing i would, I would suggest you do excellent and if i can add one little thing to the hand copying i would encourage you to not just hand copy like superficially these are the words but like what is being said here ask yourself as you're going through Okay, they just said that. Like I went through that process, and I know most good copywriters have gone through that process. And there's yep. there's a little bit of critical thought and reflection that uh, makes that practice so much stronger. The the great thing about handwriting is it slows you down, like you said earlier. So, yes. um, a few, a couple different resources. One is very low cost. One is free, and one is you know for serious students of copywriting, folks who want to improve themselves. Um, in a big way. Um, one is your book, Breakthrough Copywriting, which is available Amazon, um, other places where fine books are sold, uh, where the finest books are sold. Uh, I'll make sure to include a link in the description to that. You have the Copywriters Podcast, which is at copywriterspodcast.com. They can find the interview with Brian there, uh, as well as quite a few other interviews. There's I've been an on interview there with once. you too. Yeah. Yeah. You can find the interview with you. That was a really good one. Chris Haddad, um, I'm, I mean, you, you are so well connected throughout the industry that you just get the best guests and, um, and conduct great interviews. So they can find that there. Um, and garfinkelcoaching.com to get coaching, mentoring, and critiques from you, the world's greatest copywriting coach, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would encourage folks to check that out. Uh, thank you, David, for joining me for Breakthrough Marketing Secrets for this interview. You're welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's, it's always fun to talk with you. You have such an expansive mind. I like it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who has uh, joined us, who have watched or listened all the way through. And I will catch you again in the next episode. I will see you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.